Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Okay, thank you. Welcome to our Tuesday night Torah class. Um, I guess I'll introduce myself. I'm Jerry Watkins. This is Living Messiah, and we're doing a Torah class on Tuesdays. Let me open in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for the beautiful day today. Thanks for springtime being here. Um, thank you for this group of people that found time in their schedules to come out and study your Torah. I ask that you bless our conversation this evening, that you'd uh, help us to learn from one another as we listen to uh, different opinions and, and just teach us the things that you have for us. I know that uh, the depths of your Torah are unfathomable, and you always have something for us. In Yeshua's name, amen. So, we've been going through the Torah at our own pace where we'd like to be going at the speed we'd like to go and we're now in Exodus uh, roughly chapter 28 29 we're about chapter 29 last week let's see where we're at is the Moses at the present time for the past several weeks Moses has been up on top of the of Mount Sinai and within the pillar of smoke and fire and the rest of the people are down below wondering what has happened to him uh, we'll find out in a while that uh, they figure he's probably dead by now. It's been almost 40 days up there. Um, but Moses has been getting detailed instructions from God on, among other things, how to build the tabernacle, the place where God will dwell with his people. And so we've been going through for the past several weeks some of the instructions that he's had for this tabernacle. He had various uh, pieces of furniture specified and uh, we'd gotten some pictures of them. I remember our, one of the things we talked about with respect to this piece here is the Ark of the Covenant. This is the, uh, the place where God's presence dwelled. Um, but all of these are merely artists' renditions. They're uh, faithful to the Scripture itself, but it was just words that defined this thing. Nobody... Nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody, it has not been seen uh, for, for thousands of years, safely say. And even when it was visible, the only people that saw it, the, the only people that saw it was the current high priest. Uh, we'll learn more about that and talk more about that. But anyway, that's what, that's what many people think it looked like was this. Um, there was another good-sized piece of furniture. When you came into the tabernacle on the right was the, what they call the table of showbread or the bread of his presence. Um, and here's four different possibilities of what that might have looked like based on the description given in Exodus. Uh, the third good-sized piece of furniture was the uh, menorah, the lampstand that sat, sat to the left as you walked into the tabernacle. And its lights were uh, basically uh, fed with olive oil and the um, wicks were trimmed and the oil replenished twice a day and the lights were on, were lit 
um, 24 hours a day. This is kind of what the tabernacle looked like. It was a, uh, uh, a rectangle that was composed of um, planks, each plank about 16 feet tall and about two feet wide, and um, is divided into two parts. This rear part was called the Holy of Holies, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant set. And this uh, front part was twice as wide as that one, twice as long, I should say. And the uh, table of showbread sat on this side, and the menorah stood on that side. And this is the materials that it was um, made from. Here's, this is a picture of uh, a life-size replica or model that exists in a place called Timnah. Israel. Timnah is about 30 miles north of Elot at the very south end of Israel. And I've seen that two or three times myself. And if you ever get down that way, you can go look at it. It's out in the middle of nowhere. By the way, I didn't mention that Ralphie has built a nice model of it that sits over in this cabinet. You can sit there and gaze at that for a while too. Mark, did you, there's a microphone here that uh, uh, somebody may or may not. Okay. Our usual microphone runner is AOL, AWOL. Don't forget to mention the life-size one that is in our homeland of Samaria, Shamron. That's true. There is one in, in Shamron, very, too. Very nice one that's there. Yeah, that's right. So there, there are a few of these around. I think there's one in the, in the U.S., too, somewhere, but I don't remember exactly where. Where? Florida. Okay. Anyway, there's a cutaway drawing of what this looks like. Um, and the next piece, by the way, all of this is in these chapters of Exodus that we've already gone over, is the altar. This is the, burnt, the altar of burnt offerings, if you will. It sits out in front of the tabernacle, and you approach it with a ramp on a ramp, and it's basically kind of like a big, huge barbecue pit. This, this outside rectangle, outside square, actually, um, is of uh, bronze-clad boards, and it's got this grate in the middle that's set up off the ground. And so the offering, the wood would be placed on here, and the offering would be laid out on the wood, and the whole thing would be lit on fire. And the ashes would fall through onto the ground underneath it. And they had uh, tools for cleaning out the, the pits and things. This is a um, rendition of what, this is not an actual photograph, I should point out, but what it might look like when it was up and operating. We have a photo, or we have the same picture over on the wall over there. And then, let's see, last week we went over the um, priestly garments. This is the, the high priest, the Kohen Hakadol, they called it. And these are the different, uh, different elements of, of what he wore. And we talked a lot about the different stones and the things that went on there. And then that catches us just about up. We, we ended last week talking about the consecration ceremony of the priests. And that puts us in Exodus chapter 29. And we, it's a rather long thing, and we were, I was, I say we, <laughs> I was getting kind of tired, so I kind of um, ran out of steam here. But <clears throat> let's talk about the consecration in chapter 29. See, I think I'm, I'm going to get you guys to read a lot, but I'm going to start And some of this, I think we read some of it last time, but we'll do it again if that's right. So I'm going to start in Exodus chapter 29, just at the beginning. I'm even going to put on my glasses so I can do a good job. 
This is what you are to do to consecrate them, that is the priests, so that they may serve me as priests. Take a young bull and two rams without defect, and from fine wheat flour without yeast make bread, cakes mixed with oil, and wafers spread with oil. Put them in a basket and present them in it, along with the bull and the two rams. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe, the ephod, the ephod itself, and the breastpiece. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the sacred diadem to the turban. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics and put headbands on them. Then tie the sashes on Aaron and his sons. The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. In this way, you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. So let's talk about that for just a minute. Um, so what were the requirements? What were the things that, we, that were offered uh, at this ordination? Yeah, I mean, this is, let's see, we, we need to understand kind of what's going on here because this is the initiation of all this stuff is new. This is all new to them, right? This is something that, uh, as a matter of fact, at this point in time, it only exists in, uh, as God has spoken it or shown it to Abraham. I'm sorry, to Moses. So he's up on the hill learning all of this, but it's all going to happen. As a matter of fact, I think I mentioned last week that we get to see there are two, three descriptions of this consecration thing that we're going to read about tonight there are three different descriptions of it given in the Torah. And so, but this is what it is. So uh, what are the animals that are sacrificed? A bull, a bull and two rams, right? And we're going to read about them in detail and find out what, what the purpose is. And then what else is offered? Yeah. Using fine wheat, they made bread, cakes, and wafers. Spread with oil, right? They, with oil. All right. And then what, what was the first thing they did with Aaron and his sons? They washed them. That's obviously symbolic of, uh, of uh, cleaning them. They want to put them in a clean state before they meet with God. And then they dress them in their uh, newly made clothing. And then they anointed them with oil. Anointing is... Uh, it's. The, the thing, we, we'll read all about anointing. Anointing is a word they use a lot in Scripture. It's a, a process, a ceremony, a rite that's used to set something apart, to consecrate something for use by God. So by anointing Aaron and his sons, they have been set apart, consecrated for use by God. Any questions? Any thoughts about that? Then I'm going to go, if not, I'm going to go into the to the different offerings. Polly's got something. I have a question. Okay. So who is it that is dressing them? They're obviously not dressing themselves. And who is it that is anointing them? Well, although it doesn't say, I can, I feel fairly confident in assuming it's Moses. Because Moses is the guy that's coming down the mountain with the instructions. If it weren't for Moses being involved with this, there would be no one else to do it. So I feel pretty sure it's Moses that's doing it. But that's, I, mean, I could be wrong. Yeah. Two things. So it looks like 
the kingdom of priests are supposed to wear turbans and caps. <laughs> okay. Head coverings, right? Okay. Yeshua is coming back with a head covering. Okay. Um, the word ordain at the very end of nine is the word uh, malai, which is malai, which is used for that word when Christ said, "I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets; I came to fulfill." It's the same Greek word that's, you know, taken from the Hebrew. It's this word. Is it the the Greek word fulfill? It, well, it's the Hebrew word that means to fill. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, I didn't but know that's that. that's how we get that 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 Greek word is used oftentimes for this Hebrew word, uh, Malay, or uh, in this particular, the root is Malay or Melita, huh? Which here has been translated as ordain. Yeah. There's a lot of difference between ordain and fulfilled. Yeah, I didn't come to abolish the law and prophets. I came to ordain it. <laughs> yeah. To set it apart. Yeah. To, to give it order. Yeah. That's pretty good. There's actually two words fulfill in that, in those there, verses. Yeah. They're different yeah. Greek words. Okay. That's a common one that, uh, that Christians like to complain about with us. <laughs> yes. Uh, I need to, I apologize, but I was kind of busy with the stream. I need to go, can we go back a little bit for well, a second? Of course, of course. So last week we were talking about something and I tried to explain something, but to do it, I really need to put up a picture. I made a picture because visually I don't think you understood what I was talking about. Okay. That could very well be. I made a simple little picture. <laughs> okay. Not saying this is what it is, but this is a way you could look at it. Okay. A way. Then let me switch it over here. So they have control of my TV set here. Yes, we have the horizontal and the vertical. And the vertical, right. All right, let me switch this over. There was the outer limits. Okay. Outer limits, right? I just want to point a couple things out with regards to a compass. You see these lines here, there's mm -hmm. one there, one there, one here, and one here. They're on most compasses. They're called quadrant lines. And you have uh, north quadrant, east quadrant, south quadrant, west quadrant. So if you take those lines and extend them like that, mm -hmm. and then you connect them, and then you put in the tribes, you've got your north side, east side, west side, and south side. Yep, I could buy that. That looks good. Now, this layout matches what's called an azimuthal equidistant map. So if I fade that in, this is a map that was found in Japan that's a thousand years old. Hmm. And it matches what Admiral Byrd said when he came back from Antarctica. He said that there is a vast, vast amount of land and water beyond the South Pole. So if Antarctica is the South Pole and it's in a circle, you can see that there's a vast amount, according to this map, of land and water beyond the South Pole. Hmm. So I just wanted to point that out. And there's one other thing I wanted to point out was if you look at this from Yahweh's point of view, from up above. So let's say you're looking at those blue lines and you're looking at a three-dimensional object from high up above looking straight down on it. What object could that be? A pyramid, like the one we read about in Revelation last week, the New Jerusalem. 
So what is the possibility the New Jerusalem is like that, a, a pyramid, and on the inside there's a giant circular dome on the first floor? And that the wilderness tabernacle is a model of what is in heaven, what's being built in heaven to come down to earth. I'm just putting it out there. That's interesting. Hmm. How about that? Okay, I'm going to go back on to chapter 29. And we'll continue reading about the consecration of the, of the priesthood, the priests. Starting in chapter 10, or verse 10, 29, verse 10. Um, it reads, Bring the bull to the front of the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on its head. Slaughter it in the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Take some of the bull's blood and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour out the rest at the base of the altar. Then take all the fat around the inner parts, the covering of the liver and both kidneys and the fat on them, and burn them on the altar. But burn the bull's flesh and its hide and its offal outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Okay, so let's stop and look at that for a minute. That's one of the three animals that was sacrificed, right? was the bull. And what are some interesting things about the way it was dispatched, if you will? What was the... Uh, go ahead, John. Do you have something? No? <clears throat> well, let's find one thing that's kind of interesting here. Verse 10. Bring the bull to the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on its head. What do you suppose that's for? Well, I was just going to, before you um, made that statement, I was going to say, where is outside the camp? What, what has our brother Judah and ancient literature tell us they, what they called outside the camp? Where is that located? But it's outside the city walls of Jerusalem, yeah. What direction? Uh, I thought it was south, but maybe it was east. It is east. Okay. So would have put it at the Mount of Olives where the red heifer is burned, um, this other mountain that David was commanded by God to purchase with 500 shekels or 50 shekels of silver. So it's a sanctified altar. And, okay. Uh, so this, is, this was supposed to be taken outside the camp and uh, burn it at this location. So... But that, that's where the hide and the offal and the entrails were burnt. Where was the, the clean parts burnt? On the altar, right? Okay, yep. So it's a burnt offering. Uh, we're going to learn in Leviticus there are four types of offering. And this, the burnt offering is one of the most common ones. And did what? Let's see. Did any of the meat of this offering get eaten? No. It was all consumed. You could say, and God said, it's basically it's his food. So this, is, this offering was made to him, and the whole burnt offering was, uh, it signifies our commitment of everything to God, if you will. Anyway, go ahead. 
Verse 13 says that the entrails and the fat were burnt mm -hmm. inside, not outside. Okay, okay, I misspoke. And the reason that it's interesting to me is that he talks in other places about enjoying the fragrance of the fat. Burning fat. Burned. Yeah. So what was burnt outside the camp then was uh, the bull's flesh, its hide, and its offal. Awful is the, you know, intestines. So it's a sin offering. It says it is a sin offering. I lied about burnt offering. I apologize. It's a sin offering. John. So are we just describing something when a priest gets consecrated or always? Well, um, we will see that this is always, but... For this purpose, it was for the consecration of the priests. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, do they always, yeah. The, it, the consecration this, of the priest should only happen every time there's a new priesthood. Well, that's what I'm I saying. I mean, a new priest. Right. A new chief priest, head priest. So they're going to follow these instructions, but yes. these instructions may apply to a lot of other things as well? Yes. That's, similar similar instructions? Yes. That's kind of what I was trying to do. I was trying to say that we'll look at this, and if, this, if you haven't looked at the offerings and thought about them or studied them much, this comes as kind of a shock, and you wonder what's going on here, you know. But Leviticus deals in great detail with this. Excuse me for misspeaking. This is a sin offering. It's it's to that's the purpose of their putting the hands on the heads of the animal. They're transferring their sin to the animal, and the animal is then destroyed because that's what needs to happen to pay for their sin. Who does that remind me of? Well, obviously the allusion to a shoe is pretty pretty strong. More what? Is this being done for willful or unwillful sin? Well, I think it's done for both, personally. So I it's mean, my understanding that the, all the sacrifices done in Israel were for unwillful sin. Well, yeah, I like that. But then what do you do about willful sin? Well, because the, the willful sins were the ones that constituted either burning by fire, stoning, or... Um, banishment, which was death anyway. So in other words, there was no offering to be given to some sins. There's 16 of them uh, that that you couldn't you couldn't bring an offering. In other words, it couldn't be covered. Okay, okay, I agree with that. John, just a thought for Mark. Um, and a uh, what do you call a willful sin? Could that be considered after it's been shown to you, unless it's like, you know, murder, then you can't undo that. But some things are like, you can't do this. You need to correct the record, or you need to do that. Is there a, is there a due process in your understanding when you say unwanted or uh, willful sin? Right, okay. Unrepentant. Okay. Yeah, repentance is a key part here. You, you're, the whole thing that's going on here is you're acknowledging your sin, whether it be willful or unwillful. Inadvertent is a better term. Uh, you're acknowledging it. You're saying, I've sinned, you know, and I repent. And that's, this is the payment for the sin, otherwise known as atonement, right? Let's go on. Um, verse 15, take one of the rams... And Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it, and take the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides. 
cut the ram into pieces and wash the inner parts and the legs, putting them with the head and the other pieces, and then burn the entire ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to Yahweh, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to Yahweh by fire. So I got ahead of myself a moment ago. The first one was the sin offering, which is necessary before you can move any closer to God. That has to happen first. And this is a burnt offering. And again, we'll learn more about these in Leviticus. Um, what's interesting about this? This one, the whole animal is uh, burnt. Beg your pardon? After it was cut into pieces. And uh, how does God, what does it say? Um, the, 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 we hear it all the time. I just want to zero in for a minute. It says, it is a burnt offering, verse 18, the latter part of verse 18. It is a burnt offering to Yahweh, a pleasing aroma. We'll see that a lot in Leviticus, a pleasing aroma. I don't get this, I'll be the first to admit, but it says over and over again that when the priest did this, it was God was pleased. It, uh, it, it, it satisfied a requirement that he had, and somehow or another it pleased him because, it, I think it because it allowed him to be in communion with his creation. John? It could be just as simple as, you followed instructions. Imagine that. <laughs> yes, it could be that simple. It could be that simple. <clears throat> okay, but let me go on because we'll get through this and then we can move into something a little more interesting. Not that this isn't interesting. Verse 19, take the other ram and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it, take some of its blood and put it on the lobes of the right ears of Aaron and his sons on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. Then sprinkle blood against the altar on all sides and take some of the blood on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments and he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated, will be set apart for use by God. Okay? So this is interesting. Now this one, what's gone on here is... Um, um, unique to the ordination ceremony, okay? This, this is not a very common thing. And the thing that makes it unique is this uh, in verse 20. Take some of its blood and put it on the lobes of their right ears of Aaron and his sons and the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. What do you think that means? Now, this is, this is the blood of the ordination offering. What do you think? It's a possibility that... It relates to ears being consecrating their hearing. Hearing. Their deeds done with their hands, hands. and the, yep. their paths. The, the, their the, yeah, the, their, where, where they walk. So it's got to do with hearing, doing, and walking, if you ask me. That's, that, it, it was kind of a funny kind of a thing, because you know, I remember reading that and thinking to myself, well, what does that mean? And it, when you kind of, it's not hard to come to that conclusion, but I'm not sure it doesn't come without. God somehow or another showing you. I mean, you know, when you get it, you think, well, of course. What else? Yeah. Is the, oh, yeah, the right ear. Now, someone mentioned that in somewhere up here the other day about the, there's no, one of the questions. I don't understand this. I think it has a lot to do with just culture. But uh, the, I guess it's the Greek word for left is sinister. Okay? And it has, it is, it, to this day in the Middle Eastern culture, Anything on your left hand, your left side, left is evil and right is good. I don't know why that's the case, 
but that's the case. So yeah, it was the right ear and the right toe and the right thumb, but the, the, left, the left is considered, for whatever reason, evil. Again, I think that's more cultural than anything else, but whatever. Go ahead. Yeshua sits at the right hand of the Father. A pretty good indication yep. that it's a righteous right yeah. indication, not just culture. No, that's a good point. That's a very good point. I remember in the uh, you know Elizabethan Victorian England, uh, if you grew up and you were naturally left-handed, they would do all kinds of things to make sure you didn't write that way because they thought it was evil to write with your left hand. So that was interesting, yeah. This is probably why the Shema is so important because it's covering hear and do. Yes. yes. So the very things that's being anointed here. Yeah. have another question for you. I have been thinking about your answer about Moses being the one that did this uh -huh. because I've always understood that it takes an anointed or a consecrated one to anoint another or consecrate another. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering where would we have seen that other than maybe, I don't know, I guess we could go back a little bit, where Moses could have been anointed. Are you thinking when he went up for the the tablets and spent the, well, these 40 days? Certainly you could consider what he's doing now, which is that, uh, as an uh, anointing of some kind. Uh, but I might, you might even go back to the burning bush. I mean, it doesn't, it, it's not that all anointing has to look the same. Right. But uh, it says that, um, you know, Moses had a unique relationship with God, right? He talks to him face to face and he doesn't communicate with him in parables right. and visions. So Moses was special, you know, without a doubt. So has there been an anointing that you have followed, say from Abraham on that you could kind of follow an anointing that has come down that has remained? I, I don't know. Not that I can think of other than the fact God has made it real clear who his anointed is. And, and a lot of times it was at, uh, uh, how can I put it? It was fought, <laughs> right? I think of Jacob and how Jacob had to basically do what he had to do in order to, to get what God intended him to have. How, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have a good answer for that for sure, but it's a neat thought. I would think Yahweh can anoint whoever he wants to, but uh, it <laughs> yes. seems to me like it would be at the burning bush because that's when he called Moses and sent him. Yeah. It says, I'm sending you... And even though Moses didn't want to do it, he really had no choice in the matter. That's right. Uh, same thing with Abraham. And we might say, as Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob passed the blessing on, that in a sense is an anointing yeah. of, of the line. So I guess. Yeah. I well, and, and, and at each point, at some point in each of those, those guys' lives, God confirmed it, right? At some point, he, he made it clear to them that they were the ones. And Moses, as you point out, Moses didn't have a choice. Poor guy. <laughs> also, we probably include Paul in that because he was specifically called by Yeshua himself. Yep. No man. Yep. Well, somebody, he's, he sent somebody to lay his hands on him, but he, he, Yahweh's the one who actually called him. Yep. 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 David? Yep. Yep. That's a good example. Mm -hmm. Sure. You guys, you're always fun. 
Well, let me go on. We're just in the middle of this, of this third uh, sacrifice, so let me read about it, starting in verse 22. Uh, Take from this ram the fat, the fat tail, the fat around the inner parts, the covering of the liver, both kidneys with the fat on them, and the right thigh. This is the ram for the ordination. And from the basket of bread made without yeast, which is before Yahweh, take a loaf and a cake made with oil and a wafer, and put these in the hands of Aaron and his sons, and wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. And then take them from their hands and burn them on the altar, along with the burnt offering for a pleasing aroma to Yahweh, an offering made to the Yahweh by fire. After you take the breast of the ram for Aaron's ordination, wave it before Yahweh as a wave offering, and it will be your share. Consecrate those parts of the ordination ram that belong to Aaron and his sons, the breast that was waved and the thigh that was presented. This is always to be the regular share from the Israelites for Aaron and his sons. It is a contribution the Israelites are to make to Yahweh from their fellowship offerings. Okay, I wanted to talk about a couple of things. The wave offering and the fellowship offering are um, the same thing, and they're one of the offerings that we're going to read a lot about in the book of Leviticus. This, I, uh, this may not be completely right, but as I was finally coming to grips with these different kinds of offerings, the fellowship offering was the one that was most interesting to me because it's the one that, um, that, that is really kind of a joyous thing. You know, God is, you, you've got the, the necessary, as John would call them, the, the legal prerequisites out of the way, and now you're, you're prepared to actually sit down and have a communion with God, you know, to have a, um, a celebration with Him. You, you can sit with Him I hate to use the word as equals, but you can sit with him because you're clean. You're in a proper state and you've paid what's due and, and the fellowship offering is a, is a, a nice affair. And even back in, um, in when they were doing this as a, as a congregation, as a nation, I'm not sure they did this, but it occurs to me a lot of times when they would sacrifice a rather large animal like a bull, that was a lot of food. And so a lot of times, bulls were usually sacrificed by the more wealthy or the people that were more well-to-do one hour or another, and they would invite family and friends, and they would have a big, it was kind of a festive occasion. And then this part that says uh, there are certain things that are to be Aaron and his sons, um, they got to be a part of the party because they were the ones that were participating in all of this. Anyway, I just wanted to lay that out there as a wave offering and fellowship offering and why it's different. Even though it says this particular one was being used as an ordination offering. I'll probably mess that up, but you get the idea, huh? Any thoughts? Okay, so those are the three offerings and the things that are presented for the ordination of Aaron and his sons. Um, I can get someone else to read now. Does someone want to read from... Um, Verse 29 to the end of chapter 29. Verse 29. Mm -hmm. And it shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a law forever. For it is. Did it poop out? Contribution. Yeah. Uh, and it is a contribution from the children of Israel from the... Where, where are you reading now? Oh, 29. 
I started 28, sorry. Okay. Uh, and the set-apart garments of Aaron are for his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be adorned, ordained in them. The priest from his sons in his place puts them on for seven days when he enters the tent of appointment to attend in the set-apart place and take the ram of ordination and cook its flesh in a set-apart place. And Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tent of appointment. And they shall eat those offerings with which the atonement was made to ordain them, to set them apart. But let a stranger not eat them because they are set apart. And if any of the flesh of the ordination offerings or of the bread be left over until the morning, then you shall burn up what is left over. It is not eaten because it is set apart. And so you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all I have commanded you. Seven days you shall ordain them, and prepare a bull each day as a sin offering for atonement. And you shall cleanse the slaughter place when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to set it apart. For seven days you shall make atonement for the slaughter place and set it apart, and the slaughter place shall be most set apart. Whatever touches the slaughter place is to be set apart. And this is what you prepare on the slaughter place. Two lambs a year old daily, continually. Prepare the one lamb in the morning and the other lamb you prepare between the evenings. And one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hin of wine as a drink offering with the one lamb and prepare the other lamb between the evenings, and with it prepare the grain offering and the drink offering, as in the morning, for a sweet fragrance, an offering made by fire to Yahweh, a continual ascending offering for your generations at the door of the tent of appointment before Yahweh, where I shall meet with you to speak with you. And there I shall meet with the children of Israel, and it shall be set apart by my esteem, and I shall set apart the tent of appointment and the slaughter place. And Aaron and his sons I set apart to serve as priests to me. And I shall dwell in the midst of the children of Israel. and shall be their Elohim. And they shall know that I am Yahweh, their Elohim, who brought them up out of the land of Mitzrayim to dwell in the midst. I am Yahweh, their Elohim. Okay. Is that the That's end? great. Yep, that's the end of the chapter. A couple of things there. So it, it shows what's to be done with this specific ordination offering. Um, if they Now, this was a ram, so it wasn't a great big offering, but there's plenty of meat there, and it was to be eaten by, um, shared, if you will. Parts of it were to be eaten by Aaron and his sons in the, at the tent of meeting, inside the temple or the tabernacle grounds, if you will. Nobody else could eat it. And what did they do with the leftovers? They burnt them, right? <laughs> okay. Did yeah, they burnt them the next morning. Yep. Uh, Mark, did you have something? Big pardon? Uh, 34. Okay, so I just saw something today that I had made a connection with in verse 33. What was it Yeshua told us to do that we were to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Yeah. Verse 33 says, Thus they shall eat those things by which atonement was made. 
if if our sins were forgiven by his flesh and his blood, maybe that's why he said we must eat it. Well, that that's a good connection, if you ask me. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I've always struggled with that. That's such a different verse, you know, harsh sounding, so to speak. So they must burn it up, and the reason it says right there is because it is sacred. It's set apart to God. We're not going to save that and have leftovers the next day. You know, burn it up. Um, and then how often, let's see, when was this done? Well, it was done for seven days. I didn't really ask that question, right? It What's was, my question? What's your question? So, obviously they have to do this the first time. Yes. Right? Yes. If it doesn't exist, then we have to start somewhere. Yes. So... It's going to take seven days to do that. Yep. Again, my question goes back to, does this repeat every year? Like, we're not, we're not talking about a Yom Kippur or Pesach. Or we're not talking about any of that stuff. We're just talking about consecration of I the priest. Think, yes. I think it occurs every time there is a new high priest, uh, which so, is not very often, obviously. What I'm thinking of is like Hanukkah, right? Feast, they had to restart. The dedication, yeah. They had to restart the altar service. Well, that was because... Did they go the, back to these verses as a reference point? I'll bet they did. I'll bet they sure did. Now, of course, by the time Hanukkah came around, forgive me for this, but they probably lost track of who was really the high priest at that point in time. But they may have made their very best effort and did this very thing in an effort to do that. That's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. I would add that it wasn't just for the high priest. It's for the sons. So yes. I think maybe... Every time there's a new group of priests, even though they're not the high priests, if there's a new group of priests coming in for the year, they probably did this for them. Yep. Even though the high priest is going to be there for the next 10, 15 years, yeah. if they've got new priests coming in, not the high priest, but the priests, because it says sons of Aaron, yep. they probably were ordinating them, ordaining them this way. Yeah. That's as, probably they, true. as the new ones came in. Yep. Now let's see. What that would mean is, for example, if uh, uh, Aaron was through having sons, yeah. but maybe his sons would have some sons, well, and Aaron could still be alive perhaps when his grandson would be old enough to become a priest. Which is be. 30. Yeah. So, so every year when, when you had a group of men hit the age of 30 that were descendants of Aaron, they were probably being ordained to be priests. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It, probably went yep. through this ceremony. I wouldn't doubt that. Do you have anything? Okay. Um, seven days, sacrificing a bull and a ram, two rams each day. Um, then it goes on to talk about the regular offering. What's the regular offering that's to be offered every day? Two lambs, one in the morning and one in the twilight. So we know that's 9 o'clock and 3 o'clock, Right? A lamb in the morning and a lamb in the afternoon, and they're burnt offerings. They're, they're, they're so, and they're every single day, so that there is constantly uh, a burnt offering with the smoke and the aroma ascending to God. Mark? How long does it say to do it? Continuously forever. What does it say here? Continually. Tamid. Yep. There's no end. There's no end. When yeah. something continues... For generations to come, verse 42 says. So generations to come. Now, you would have to do your homework to find out when the 
um, morning and the evening is, but it, it comes out to, like you said, 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. And I just always say this. I find it interesting. This is what God's asking us to do. Mm -hmm. Well, he didn't do anything different. He laid his offering at the same times. Yeah. It was New Testament. I think it was purposely given the times so that we would know that very fact. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was in my reading about some of this stuff today. One of the things uh, it's mentioned is, is uh, God meets with his people by appointment only. And, and he's, he said when. Yeah. John? <clears throat> well, I'm thinking here, this is true as long as both parties are participating. Right? Yes. So, like, the house of Israel, it didn't apply to them. Not anymore. After they got the bill of divorce. Yeah. Right? They're not part of this. It doesn't continue for them. That's true. So, I'm just... Well, that's part I'm just saying, like, it's a contract, and every year during Yom Kippur, it's like, do you want to do this contract over again? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Let's keep going until you say no. Yeah. Or until something stops. It's, in other words, it has the capacity to continue to be this way, but we have to play a part in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Showing up is, <laughs> Showing up is a big part of it. Yeah, and then, uh, like I say, one of the things that um, um, Jeroboam did pretty shortly after he got control of the northern kingdom, you know, he said, we can't, we can't have all you guys going down to Jerusalem three times a year. We're going to have our own. We're going to build some temples here. We'll build one at Dan and Bethel, and we're going to change the dates around a little bit. We'll do it a month later, and we're going to have, you know, and, and how in the world could God allow that, you know? What would have happened if the Aaron uh, priests, or let's just say five of these guys, didn't show up? <laughs> well... At the appointment, like you yeah. said, it's appointment only. Yeah. And they did show up. Obviously, they're not going to be ordained. Well, that's true. That's yeah. true. What I was thinking is um, when John was talking about the contract, um, see, there's a, a legal phrase for this, failure to perform or something like that, non-performance. Uh, if you don't show up, that's considered non-performance. Yeah. Now, if God were... Uh, a vindictive God, you know, he could say, okay, non-performance, you're out of here, the contract's null and void. Yeah. But he lets us go through non-performance for what seems like <laughs> an eternity, saying, oh, come on, you guys, you can get this right. This is not that yeah. hard. Come on, I'll give you another chance. It's really kind of disturbing the way he gives us so much opportunity to Merciful, do Merciful, yeah. 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 Okay, <clears throat> verse 42 said, For generations to come, this is a burnt offering, is to be made regularly at the interest of the tent of meeting before Yahweh. There I will meet you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites, and the place will be consecrated by my glory. So God, this is God's commitment to the people of Israel if Aaron and the priests do this. Right? Verse 44, So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. And then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God, and they will know that I am Yahweh their God, who brought them out of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. I am Yahweh. Pretty cool, I think. Now, again, it helps every now and then to sit there and remember, this is God talking to Moses up on the hill. So this is still... Uh, right now, at the present state of time, the only guy that knows about this, the only human that knows about this is Moses. Okay? So, anyway, just putting that point out. 
Chapter 30. Change of subjects, but not a big one. Um, does someone want to read the first 10 verses of chapter 30? Then we'll talk about them for a second. <clears throat> Who does? Margaret? Thank you, Margaret. Exodus 30, and you shall make an altar to burn incense on, make it of acacia wood, a cubit long and a cubit wide, it is square, and two cubits high, its horns of the same, and you shall overlay its top and its sides all around, and its horns with clean gold, and you shall make it for a molding of gold all around. And and make two gold rings for it under the moldings of both its sides. Make them on its two sides, and they shall be holders for the poles to lift it with. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold. And you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the witness, before the lid of atonement that is over the witness where I am to meet with you. And Aaron shall burn on it's sweet incense morning by morning, and he shall tend the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps between the evening, he shall burn it, incense in it, on it, a continual incense before Yahweh throughout your generations. Do not offer strange incense on it, a burnt or a burnt offering or a grain offering, and do not pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horn once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he makes the atonement upon it throughout your generations. It okay, the microphone is hereby labeled bogus. Set apart. That's okay. To Yahweh. Thanks. That's, we've had trouble with that. We've tried all kinds of things to get it to not do that. And we're giving up. I think at this point, but anyway, that's beside the point. There's another microphone. Um, if you want to get the other handheld microphone, we'll just switch them out. Anyway, let's go back to what we just read because it's pretty interesting. Um, first of all, going at the very last one there, it says, uh, once a year Aaron shall make atonement, atonement on its horns. When is that, do you suppose? Just based on that one sentence, when might it be? Huh? The Day of Atonement, right? So once a year, on, he'll make atonement. And he makes atonement by putting blood on the corners of the altar. Okay, back to the beginning of the thing. Uh, this is my last picture. No, it's not. I have another one. But this is, uh, again, we don't know what this thing really looked like. But it probably looked like something like this. It's got the, it's a square. I got a kick out of the geometry problem. It says one cubit by one cubit. It's a square. Okay. Um, and then it's two cubits high, and the horns are these little things on each corner. And you notice those, those are similar kind of things that they had on the altar of burnt offerings, and it's over there too. And uh, what's to be done on that altar? What's to be offered there? Incense, and only incense. Nothing else, and not even any strange incense. Incense... Let's see, how did he put it here? 
Um, Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when the, he lights the lamps in the twilight. So incense will burn regularly before Yahweh for the generations to come. Do not offer on this altar any other incense or any burnt offering or grain offering and do not pour a drink offering on it. So the only thing that goes on that altar is incense. And we're going to learn here in another, well, just a little ways, that the incense has a very specific formula. And it's only that incense. And other than putting blood on the corners, on the horns of the altar, on the one day of the year, that's all that that altar is ever used for. Now, do you know what the smoke of incense is typically symbolic of? Prayer, exactly. It's symbolic of prayer. So <clears throat> that's worthy of some thought, I think. Well, let's see. The Hebrew word? Go ahead. Ketoret? Ketoret or caparet? Ketoret. I didn't, what is that? I'm not In, familiar with incense. that. Incense. Oh, I didn't know that. You guys are always so... Learn something every time. I noticed that it says a perpetual incense. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that even when they broke up camp and moved, it was still... Now that's an interesting question. And the reason that that comes to my mind uh -huh. is that according to verse 4, uh -huh. it says you have two golden rings uh -huh. and on two corners which could mean that if you have um, something on the corner holding it, uh -huh. you can tip this this way and that, and only the staves, if you're walking over rocks uh -huh. or something, uh -huh. it might stay level. it'll stay level, and well, you don't be. get burned or something. Yeah. That's so, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Interesting, yeah. Although, you know, they, th your comment about how it's got to be done all the time, uh, that's also supposed to be the thing uh, with the menorah, too. And I don't think they kept the menorah lit when they traveled with it, right? Didn't they also say that had to happen with the menorah? Well, I don't know. I'm not trying to... Okay. That's a good point. That's a very good point, yeah. I have a question. Yes. When uh, Zechariah went into the uh, tabernacle, uh, is this the, the time we're talking about when he did this? Well, um, I think... Zechariah the father of John the Baptist? Yes. It's, it's at this occasion? Uh, yeah, I think it is. I think so. The Day of Atonement. Hmm. I'm pretty sure that's right. One of the things is, do you know where this thing sits? It said. Um, put the altar, I'm reading verse 6. Put the altar in front of the curtain that is before the Ark of the Testimony, before the atonement cover, that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. So in my way of thinking, the only thing that... Here, let me see if I can back up. 
The altar of incense goes here, and the Ark of the Covenant is back here. So there's this big, huge curtain. This is the veil that was rent from top to bottom when Yeshua was crucified. So the, uh, the, it stands right in front of the, with a, in front of the curtain, and the Ark of the Covenant is behind the curtain. That's my understanding from this. Obviously, it's the understanding of the person that drew this picture, too. <clears throat> this is the end of a Torah portion, but because we are doing things at our own pace, we get the privilege of just moving right along. And since it's in the middle of the chapter, we might as well. So, <clears throat> in chapter 30, someone will want to read from verse 11 through 16. Just, that's a little hunk. Six verses. Go for it. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel to register them, then each one shall give an atonement for his life <clears throat> to Yahweh. Then you register them so that there is no plague among them when you register them. Everyone among those who are registered is given his, or is to give his half a shekel according to the shekel of the set apart place. 20. Giras, I think. Giras? Yep. Being a shekel. The half shekel is the contribution to Yahweh. Everyone passing over to be registered from 20 years old and above gives a contribution to Yahweh. The rich does not give more, the poor does not give less than half a shekel when you give a contribution to Yahweh to make atonement for yourselves. And you shall take the silver for the atonement from the children of Yisrael and give it for the service of the tent of the, of the appointment and it shall be to the children of Israel for a remembrance before Yahweh to make atonement for yourselves. Okay, that's good. So this is um, the title of that little section in my Bible says atonement money. But what, what's the action that goes on here? What's, what's really happening? What are they doing? It's a census. They're counting the people, right? They're counting every man 20 years or older. Okay, and when he crosses the line from the uncounted to the counted, he pays a half shekel. Does anybody know, like, how much is a half shekel? Two bits. Two bits. That's, that's not bad. Four bits. Yeah. Uh, today, not that it applies a lot, but today a half shekel is about 18 cents, 20 cents, something like that. Okay. John? So it isn't just, hey, let's count the people, right? It's, it's uh, they shall give every man a ransom for his soul. Okay. That's what it says, yeah. So that sounds a little more than just, oh, you go over there and count those guys, and if you miss some, it's no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But that's true, except that there in, in the Bible there's all kinds of... Uh, uh, controversy associated with taking a census. Right, and I, I did a study, Pakad is the word here for uh, verse 12, when they'll take us the sum of the children, 
Some is that it's not the root is pakad, but it's a more complicated word than that. But that's the like he says that when I will visit you. You know, in Exodus twenty. Yeah. Um, uh, I will visit you and the, I will pass the sin on to the third and fourth generation. That's the word pakad, visit. Okay. But here it's some, and then the number is another. Oh, wait a minute. Some is rosh, and then the number, Israel after their number, that is the pakad word. Okay. But I was just interested in a ransom for his soul. Yeah. Now, I, I struggle with that a little bit, but it, it got me on this rabbit trail of what a census what it means to take a census in biblical times. And um, typically, you weren't, you gave away the microphone. You don't get to do that. Okay, go ahead. Nobody saw me do it. All right. So you brought it up. Okay. Well, is it like, you know, membership? You're, you're part of the, you're a citizen now. You're a citizen of the kingdom of Israel. That's because you have yeah. this ransom. It's something to that, for you, sure. You're registered, my name. You know, it's like mm -hmm. when you go to vote, at least that's the way it used to be. You have to look your name up and mm -hmm. can you vote? Do you have the, uh, the authority to do that? Do you have the privilege of doing that? Well, not only that, but by virtue of the fact that you paid it, you show that you voted. Right. Yeah, you now belong, if you will. Right. Yeah, so you have, there's something to that you without have a doubt. rights and privileges, yeah. but you also have responsibilities. You're not a sojourner. Yeah. You're Israel. Yeah. You're a citizen yeah, 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 of the yeah. kingdom you're, of you're Israel. You're a member of the covenant. And, and the point of the uh, half a shekel, the point of the half a shekel is that it's it's not too much for someone that's poor, but it's not, you know, it's not nothing. It's something. Everybody has to pay the same amount, and the amount is affordable by all. So, so that's, that's got to do with the atonement thing. But you still didn't let me talk about the census. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> in uh, David, there's a... There's an, a section in 2 Samuel chapter 24. We won't go there now, but if you want to go read it, it talks about David, when he was king, decided he wanted to see how good he'd do against the uh, Philistines or something. And so he tells his uh, commander, Joab, go take a census. I want to know how many men over the age of 20 I've got in the, in the kingdom. And Joab uh, kind of objects to that. And then things ensue, and David ends up repenting. But... There's a lot of times where God takes a dim view when the leader asks to have a census taken. And the reason he does that is because it shows... He, God doesn't want a person, a king, a ruler, to make the decision about whether or not to go to war based on how many soldiers he's got. He wants, he wants it to be because God said to or God said not to. And so taking a census in some degree, to some extent, looks like... Uh, Rebellion, if you will, it looks like a lack of faith. And so part of that background is some of the stuff that has to do with, with this thing here. Now, go ahead. Well, now I have two comments. Okay, this only gets worse, doesn't it? <laughs> so the difference between now and David is what? What happened? First well, they, Samuel they, chapter 8, right? Well, yeah, for sure, First Samuel. What you're referring to there is the people said, we want a king like all the other countries around us have kings. We want a king. Not like you. We don't want you to be our king, God. Yeah, we, we want one like the nations. We want one with skin on. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just think there's something there that, that there's, and I think you're right, that David showed he didn't follow protocol. He was acting as if he was, he could do this at a whim or whatever. Yeah. 
The other thing too is the respect. It's a half a shekel, which really isn't that much. Yeah. It's a token amount, if you yeah. will. But you know, if I'm a rich guy, I say, "Well, I'm going to bring in a whole bunch of people, so people will be impressed yeah. with all the tokens that I've got." Can't do that. It's we're all yeah. always a respecter of persons. Yeah. There's no when yeah. you go before God, you all have the same equal rights. Yeah. Uh, there's you know there's a fair amount of mystery to this little six six verse passage. And I, I don't claim to, to have it all down, but there's some things that are going on here that are really useful in terms of understanding how God views us and how He wants to wants us to interact with Him. And you know, this idea of a census is one of them. Who else has some? Do you have some? Okay. Any other thoughts about that? Good. I would like you to explain 16 a little bit. Because if I understand correctly, let's say everybody that walked in this room put a quarter in a jar. Mm -hmm. I could look at the jar and see the rep a tangible representation of the number of people that were in this room. Yep, that's one thing for sure. You'd count the quarters and you'd know how many people are in the yes. room. Yes. So is this, well, explain 16 because I'm kind of seeing it that this representation of the money collected is to be used as a memorial part of the service in the tabernacle, but I don't know, maybe you explain well, I, what I don't, this is about. Well, I, I don't know that I can do much better than receive the atonement money from the Israelites and use it for the service of the tent of meeting. In other words, uh, you, Aaron, take this money and use it to, to do the operating, uh, to help operate the, the tabernacle. And it goes on and says, it will be a memorial for the Israelites before Yahweh making atonement for your lives. Now this gets back to John's point. As this, this is a, a money for atonement. This is atonement. I don't quite get that. But what, what God's telling, in my opinion, what God's telling Aaron, what God's telling Moses to tell Aaron, is the money is to be used to carry out the functions of the, of the tabernacle. That's what that I get. That was my question. Is it used or is it just saved as a memorial that it's looked upon or is it actually used? I don't know what you would spend it for. Well, I'm not either, but there was a lot of stuff that goes on with the tabernacle. I, th I got the impression it was to be used spent, but I could be wrong. So, <laughs> atonement money, there's also redemption money. Mm -hmm. Now, aren't those the same? Well, that's what I'm, why I'm bringing it up, because mm -hmm. there was 30 pieces of silver uh, for Yeshua, which we all had atonement through. Yeah. That's Didn't go to the sanctuary, though, did it? No. <laughs> no. And it, you could argue in some perverted sense that went as a memorial, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I got, I got some more thinking to do on this, but anyway, it certainly is a nice springboard into some interesting topics. Moving right along. We have an even shorter passage here. Uh, verses 17 through 21. Does someone want to read? Just, just looking at the, uh, at the words here, for senses, um, in Hebrew it's rosh, uh -huh. which is kind of interesting it that is. rosh is also like the head. Head. Um, Pardon me? Head, yeah, head, head, head count. count. Yeah. Um, and um, going to uh, 14, have we gotten there yet? No, yeah, we have. Okay. 
four, uh, 14, uh, 20 years old, which would be the age of, of accountability mm-hmm. or going to war. Yes. It seems like, because um, when Yahshua, when they were questioning that guy he healed, um, they asked him, or they asked the parents, who healed you or whatever, and the man's, uh, the parent said, ask him, he's of age. Mm-hmm. So this is, an age thing is pretty important too. Yep. Um, in, in that you're counting those that are 20 and above. And usually those are the ones that uh, go to war. Yeah, those are your best soldiers, so to speak, yeah. Well, you want to read? Or, or, oh, I'm sorry, Pat's got something. Notice here in 14, it says, give an offering. And um, down in 16, it says, um, for a service of the tabernacle, I'm noticing that it's not the tithe, because the tithe is supposed to be for the widows and the orphans and the, the, the priests and so mm-hmm. forth. This is definitely for this. Uh, service of the tabernacle, something to do with yeah. the maintenance. That's a good point. Different than yeah, whatever. Yeah, I agree. Hmm. Anybody want to read 17 through 21? Okay, good for it. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, And you shall make a basin of bronze with its Stand also bronze for washing, and you shall put it between the tent of, of appointment and the slaughter place, and shall put water in it. And Aaron said to his sons, or I'm sorry, and Aaron and his sons shall wash from it their hands and their feet when they go into the tent of appointment or when they come near the slaughter place to a tin to burn an offering made by fire to Yahweh and to wash with water, lest they die. And they shall wash their hands and their feet, lest they die. And it shall be a law forever to them, to him and his seed throughout their generations. Okay. Uh, This is interesting in several different ways. First of all, it came up a week or so ago uh, oh, I guess it was just last week when we were talking about the, uh, uh, the priestly garments. Someone said, well, did they, um, did they do their job barefoot? And I was a little hesitant, and I think the answer is yes, they definitely did their job barefoot. The reason, I, you know, a lot of times this happens to me. You guys will say something, and I'll go off, and I'll, you know, I, won't, I won't know the answer. I'll go off and think about it. But I was reflecting back when uh, Moses first met God at the burning bush. What he tell him to do? He says, take off your sandals for the ground you're standing on is holy ground. And if there's ever ought to be holy ground, it ought to be inside the tabernacle, right? So I think the priests did indeed uh, do their job uh, barefoot. And this, I think, kind of confirms that because it says, before they enter the tent, they shall wash their feet and their hands. So I just thought I'd bring that up because that's my opinion now. I've got a, a stronger held opinion than I did last week. <clears throat> Yeah, they're walking on dirt because the tabernacle is just on the dirt floor. Yeah. So I 
I, I think this, uh, I just saw something that may be uh, a, an interesting revelation, and that is, I've always thought about when it talked about Adab and Abihu offered up strange fire. I always thought it had something to do with the way they lit it or the kindling of it, or maybe they left out the coals from the altar. But this verse specifically says, if you do not wash your hands and your feet, when you go into the altar inside, you will die. That's, that's a very good point. That's now, it it's very possible yeah. that they didn't do the washing. It sure is. It sure is. Because by going in there and failing to do the washing, now it's strange fire because it's missing an element of like taking off the sandals. You're, yeah. you're not treating this place as holy. Yeah. I never thought of that, and I, I'll have to look and see if if you don't bring the coals from the altar if you die. This is specifically saying if you don't wash your hands and your feet, you're going to die. Yeah. And they did. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. God's real particular about these kind of things. Now, he hasn't made it impossible, but I think the thing he really frowns on is when we don't take it seriously. You know, it's when we kind of, eh, what the heck, it's not that, yeah, yeah, it's not that big a deal, really. Yeah. <laughs> So, I just had a thought. Um, do you suppose that there was a connection between this and when Jesus washed uh, Peter's feet? Oh, I wouldn't doubt that there's some sort of a connection, yeah. I mean, it yeah. is. Sure. Sure. Okay. Margaret's got something. You know, in winter, it must have been awfully cold out there in the walking around in the around oh, the tabernacle. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, you get snow in Israel. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, but my comment is, um, there's a practice of grounding where they say, you know, your energy fields and everything are kind of out of whack because we're always walking on um, fabricated mm -hmm. floorings with shoes, mm -hmm. and we never really touch the ground. Mm -hmm. And so um, they say that's supposed to be good yep. overall for your health. Yep. And I'm wondering if, if this walking barefoot that might have and, some, yeah. and be, being able, you know, in the word itself is just grounding. You're grounding yourself to uh, yeah. what we are and, and maybe the energy from, you know, coming from Yahweh at the time that he's present. Yeah. It you needs know, to have a complete path. As a needs to, yeah, say. needs yeah. to have you coming free of... Uh, maybe some of the stuff that we've been touching around the world is, that's very yeah. unclean. Here, here. Yeah, I agree. So. You know, I've always, it's funny, I've always poo-pooed that whole thing, but then someone pointed out and says, well, haven't you ever felt what it feels like to walk in grass with bare feet? Well, grass with bare feet. And I had to say, well, you know, that is different somehow. Go ahead. Yeah, expanding on the energy fields, uh, they've actually studied, you know, how we're not supposed to mix uh, garments with the wool and cotton. I've heard that. Uh, yeah. It creates a negative static energy field that actually drains your, yeah. it fatigues you. Yep. It'll be a while before I buy into that, but I've heard that. <laughs> So uh, this is why, talking about, you know, what Margaret said about being grounded, why it's very important when we go to Sukkot, we're in tents so we can get recharged again for eight days. <laughs> Take off our shoes. Well, I'll buy that. I'll give you, like I say, I, I, I poo-poo it until I get out in the grass with my bare feet. Then I, I kind of sit there and wonder about this, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grass is the one for me, though. The question I have about this uh, bronze laver, you I mean, another thing was, you know, one cubit by one cubit by two cubits made out of this and covered with that. How come there's no dimensions to this? Since there's no dimensions, there are all kinds of different ideas what it might have looked like. You know, I personally like the one at the lower right here with the uh, um, two, well, I mean, you know, that way it'd be easy. You could wash your hands and face here and wash your feet down there. Um, here's a, a rather good-sized one. Here's uh, how it might have been used in an example. Here's one a little more modest-sized. So there's a legend about what size it is. This It says it's made of bronze. I think bronze could also be copper. You know, back then their, their smelting was not the world's best, and they didn't know what, uh, what the different alloys were. But it's the legend is, is that uh, those uh, people that were more well off, you know, the, the women would have hand mirrors, and the hand mirrors were made out of copper or bronze, and they had been polished so that so that they didn't know how to make glass mirrors, so they made uh, a piece of polished brass or or copper, and they would use that to see if their eyeshadow was on right or whatever. And so the laver was made from the contributions of of women who donated their their hand mirrors, and it was as big as the number of uh, donated hand mirrors would allow it to be. And that's why there's no dimensions, is because the dimensions weren't specified. God didn't specify what size this was to be made. It, was, it would be obvious by how many hand mirrors there were. It's an interesting legend. I don't have anything to back it up with, but it is unusual. It is, uh, I don't know, somewhat noteworthy that of all the different things that are just this way and have little rings here and stuff there, there's nothing to say anything about the way this was built. <clears throat> now, when you get to the uh, morphing of the tabernacle, whenever Solomon builds the temple, uh, this thing becomes this, I think, what do they call it, the, the ocean or something, the sea, the sea. And it's this big, huge, there's several thousand gallons that sits in this big, huge cauldron that rests on the backs of these I guess it's 12 elephants, elephants, oxen that are standing around, you know, that are all statues that are holding this big thing. And I don't even know how they get to it if it holds so many thousands of gallons. But anyway, the labor is an interesting thing. What, what is the basic function of this? I mean, you know, it's clearly for washing, but why is that important in the whole process? Water? Okay, and in what sense is that important? Okay, it's water because without water there's no life. That's 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 all right. There's nothing wrong with that. Beg your pardon? Cleansing. cleansing, cleansing. I think that's a lot of it. I mean, it's not whenever we're present to present ourselves clean before God, it's a spiritual cleanliness that he's really concerned with. But spiritual cleanliness, I think, kind of assumes physical cleanliness. I, I that's my opinion. Mark? You know, it's Seeing the picture here just reminds me of something. I know that there are people that get real, when, when you're doing uh, baptisms and mikvahs, that they say, it's got to be in a river because it's got to be moving water. Mm -hmm. Well, this isn't moving water, but nope. it was great. God God thought it was fantastic for cleansing their feet and their hands. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not so sure now seeing this that I buy into any of this. It has to, has be, to be moving. moving water stuff, yeah. And, you know, it's hard to say. The thing, it's... The trap we always have to 
avoid falling into is, uh, what is it, counting the cumin and not, you know, not paying attention to the important things. Um, but on the other hand, sometimes it's hard to know what's important and what's not. So, yeah. Anything else? Let's go on. Would someone like to read from verse 22 to 33? 22 to 33. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, And take for yourselves choice spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, and half as much, 250 of sweet-smelling cinnamon, and 250 of sweet-smelling cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the set-apart place, and a hin of olive oil. And you shall make from these a set-apart anointing oil, a compound blended, the work of a perfumer. It is a set-apart anointing oil. And with it you shall anoint the tent of appointment and the ark of the witness and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the slaughter place of incense and the slaughter place of ascending offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand. And you set, shall set them apart and they shall be most set apart. Whatever touches them is to be set apart. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and set them apart to serve as priests to me and speak to the children of Israel, saying, This is a set-apart anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the flesh of a man and make no other like it. According to its composition, it is a set-apart, uh, it is set apart to you. Right there, or keep going? Uh, 33. 33. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on a stranger, shall be cut off from his people. Okay. So, um, what was the purpose of the, of the, well, first of all, what was in the oil? Myrrh? Cinnamon? Yeah, cane, cassia, and it was all in olive oil. So it was olive oil that was uh, had some some additives so that it had a, an aroma. You have some kind? Um, would this be another set apart fragrance to Yahweh? Absolutely, like a savory. Yep, yep. And not only that, to show that it's set apart, he gives these specific instructions. Um, like verse 33, whoever makes perfume like it and whoever puts it on anyone other than a priest must be cut off from his people. In other words, if, um, I mean, I don't know how this smelled. I don't I have a clue, really. But if you ever smell anything like it and it's not being used in the tabernacle, then somebody's, somebody's sinned. Somebody has done specifically something that God said not to do. Because this particular formula was to be used only for that one purpose. And that was the, uh, and, and again, it's all back to, to God wanting the stuff, the stuff that's associated with our living with Him to be unique to Him. It, it can't be common. It needs to be set apart. It needs to be, that. all those words kind of mean the same thing. Set apart, sanctified, consecrated, holy, all of those mean they're specifically for His use or for use in ministering to Him. Okay? I worry a little about that sometimes when I hear about these oils. 
that everybody's into these days. Yep. So just uh, something I looked at a while ago, and since it's come up again, I guess I'll go ahead and say something about it. In verse 26, it says the ark of the testimony. The Hebrew word is idut. And in Revelation, it says uh, three times those who hold fast to the word of God and the testimony. Mm -hmm. Well, the Greek word for testimony there is the same Greek word used for this Hebrew word idut. Okay. So there's no question they're referencing this testimony. This testimony. Because okay. it's this testimony that testifies of Mashiach. That's true. It's also the testifies to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it's all the same. Yeah, you're right, for sure. Good point. Anything else? I may have missed one, but I've noticed twice now uh, things, one, the last words which just read, uh, let's see, whosoever compounds any like it or whosoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. Mm -hmm. So it specifically talked about the anointing oil not being shared outside those that were set apart. And the other time I noticed it was back in 29, verse 33, mm -hmm. when it talked about the... Um, Atonement that was being made and consecrated, there were certain the sanctified were to eat it, but those outside should not eat it because these things were holy. Mm -hmm. Often makes me wonder about if if what Mark has pointed out earlier about this representing Messiah, his flesh and blood, and why on Pesach he tells us to partake of it that perhaps we need to be a little, or maybe I'll speak of myself, need to be a little more careful on, you know, just anybody partaking of mm -hmm. certain things because these are set apart and holy. Yeah, yeah I, I, I know what you're saying there. I, I sometimes wonder about that too because I know that God desires us to be, you know, uh, hospitable and cordial and helpful. Um, but sometimes I wonder, yeah, are we cheapening him somehow? Yeah. yeah. I think, I think, yeah, um, I don't know, maybe you can do a dry run of a Passover. Mm -hmm. But anybody that participates in a Passover should be all in. Yes, I agree with that. Because if you're not, then yeah. it's not like, you know, you're, you can't yeah. just have somebody just for the fun of it come and observe. Yeah. So... I, I hear you. I, I, like I say, I struggle with that a little bit myself because as much as we want to be nice and, and talk about the things that are important to us, you wonder about the spirit of someone that's, as you point out, I, I like your words, all in. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure how to treat that. We have a wonderful opportunity here to end the chapter uh, on time, so I think I'll just do that. I'll read the last little section. We'll talk about it. It fits real closely with all the others, so I'm going to Read from 34, verse 34 to the end of chapter 30. It says, Then Yahweh said to Moses, Take fragrant spices, gum, resin, onica, and galbanum, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it to a powder and place it in front of the testimony in the tent of meeting, where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it, consider it holy to Yahweh. 
Whoever makes any like it to enjoy its fragrance must be cut off from his people. So this is exactly the same thing as with the oil. He gave the formula and he says this has got one purpose and one purpose only. That's the stuff that gets burnt on that altar. And that's the only stuff that gets burnt on that altar. And that stuff gets burnt on nowhere but that altar. That's the rule. I mean, that, that's what it says. So, any thoughts about that? Out Go of, for it. Out of curiosity, could potentially Aaron's sons maybe have been charged with making that and they made it wrong? It certainly could be that. That's, that would definitely qualify as strange fire, but it's, it could be what Mark had said earlier. It could be a lot of different things. The point is, is what I just said in terms of what needs to be on there, um, God's pretty serious about it. I mean, he's pretty precise. There, there's not any wiggle room there. So they could have done all kinds of things and missed that, like left something out or decide what the heck this over here is good enough or said, how about this? This is kind of nice smelling. <laughs> so... No, well, that's a good point. That's a good point. It says cut off from their people. But, of course, all it says is if somebody else uses it, they will be cut off from their people. It didn't say strange fire, but... We know it can't be that they did the wrong mixing of oil because that didn't require death. That required cutting off. What they did required death. Okay. Okay. Are there any other th comments? All right, I'm going to close in prayer. Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for the discussion we've had. There's all kinds of uh, interesting things that we come across. This one in particular has a few things that, uh, that I don't have good answers for. But um, it's very interesting that you've sat there for these 40 days and you've told Moses, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want um, Aaron and his sons to interact with me. And this is how I want the people of... Um, Israel to interact with me and as I live with them. And I think it's just, uh, uh, I just think it's great, God, that you've done this and that we can look at it and try to understand it more and that we can see the things that are important to you. And I just thank you for your uh, grace and tolerance and mercy in, in terms of our inability to uh, perceive the importance of some of these things and our inability to carry them out the way they should be. But it's sure is fascinating, Father God. And I ask that you help us to think on these things and look, uh, look toward you for um, further insight. Keep us safe until we meet again. In Yahushua's name, amen. So thank you very much, and see you next week.